Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me once again to the Gospel record of Mark. The Gospel record of Mark and chapter number 10. The Gospel record of Mark and chapter number 10. As we are marching with Jesus Christ, we're in a section where Jesus Christ is preparing to go to Jerusalem. And there at Jerusalem, he is going to be... um, arrested. He's going to be put on a false trial. He's going to be crucified. But on the third day, he's rising again. And the gospel record of Mark, where it shows Jesus Christ as the perfect servant, it also is picturing him and showing him as he's spending some time with his disciples to prepare them, to work with them, to try to instill some things in them so that way they could continue to carry on the work of Jesus Christ After his work on earth is finished. And so if you don't mind to pick up with me as Jesus is working with his disciples. In the gospel record of Mark chapter number 10. The gospel record of Mark chapter number 10. And notice with me starting at verse number 32. The gospel record of Mark chapter number 10. And in verse number 32. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus went before them. And they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him. Saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priest, and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him, and on the third day he shall rise again. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism I shall be baptized with all ye shall be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so it not be among you. 
But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of Mark chapter number 10? The gospel record of Mark chapter number 10, and notice what it says here about the Son of Man. It said the Son of Man, but notice in verse 45, uh, came to minister. As we see the phrase here that the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, for a title will shorten it down. The Son of Man came to minister. The Son of Man came to minister. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we see this portion of Scripture, this is one of the important parts of the Gospel record. As you've taken your disciples aside and you begin to teach them and instruct them, this is the heart of the Gospel record of Mark. This is what you are trying to get across. This is what everything is leading to. The statement that you give to the disciples here. Because this is so important, yet it's so often overlooked, so missed, this principle that you apply here. Lord, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would do something different, something amazing to arrest our attention, to give us understanding beyond ourselves, to see what it is that you're trying to get across to your disciples. And that as we have a desire to be followers of you and disciples, that we can not only understand and apply apply it, but we can obey the principle, the message that you are getting across to your followers now. This is such a vital message, and I understand spiritual warfare. I understand everything that goes along with it to cause us to miss this, to put our minds into something else. Lord, I recognize within my own self the spiritual warfare. I'm asking that you would just set that aside the best I know how. I surrender it to you and just ask that you use me as a clean vessel, a vessel ready to be used however you see fit, and that I can trust you to get your own work accomplished. Thank you for being a trustworthy God. Thank you that I can rest in you and the victory that you have in yourself. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once again, Jesus Christ is trying to prepare his disciples for the things to come. And the very first thing that we see here is the repeated message here, the death of the Son of Man. The death of the Son of Man. Now, once again, uh, we've lost track of how many times, and just in the Gospel record of Mark, where Jesus tells his disciples what's going to happen. And they've asked questions, and sometimes they haven't asked questions. Sometimes they've ignored him. Sometimes it's like the teacher in the blackboard. I think he said something important. Anybody get the notes? And no, they were too busy talking about other things, worrying about the other thing. But this is important here. The death of the Son of Man. Notice in verse number 
number 32, what leads up to this. And they, Jesus and his disciples, were in the way going up to Jerusalem. So they're on the path now. Jerusalem is just a little bit of ways. They're preparing to go there. It's just a week or so before Jesus Christ starts his Passion Week. It's right around the corner. They're making preparations. It's in sight. They're on the way. And as Jesus is preparing to go to Jerusalem, they're on the road. You can see the mile markers. Jerusalem this way and so and so miles he says this is a good time to remind the disciples what's going to happen but notice is what's going on with them and they were amazed and as they followed they were afraid so there's a certainty now they haven't been paying enough attention to Jesus about what's going on but there's an uncertainty coming up there's the, the pit in the stomach that you can't explain. There's something going on. They could sense it, but they're not paying attention as Jesus is telling them over and over what's going to happen. Notice what he does. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him. And he goes through this list. And what I want you to do is to pay attention to the word and. This is a literature um, a literary style that is called a polysnidedon, that word and. And the purpose of it is to slow down the reader, to slow down the listener, to put emphasis on the entire list. Oftentimes we'll put a list together and we don't use the word and. If you have a group of people going, you'll just give the list of names. And then in the last one you'll put and. But here when you push put and in between each of the list, what it's doing is it's putting emphasis on each part of the list. Notice as Jesus begins to describe what's going to happen in verse 33. Now, the reason why I'm putting emphasis is because he's not saying this fast to his disciples. He's taking time to teach his disciples this is important. Verse 33, saying, behold, we go up to Jerusalem. All right, boys, we're on our way. When we get here, this is what's going to happen. And the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priest and unto the scribes. So boys, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. We're all going. When we get there, the chief priests are going to arrest me. And the chief scribes. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be put on a false trial. And they shall condemn him to death. So I'm going to go to Jerusalem, or we're going to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me, and they're going to put me on a false trial, and I'm going to be found guilty of death. Now, again, plain speak is easily understood. You can't get clearer than this. And he's looking at the disciples, trying to explain to them I'm going to be condemned to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. So I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be put on a false trial. I'm going to be delivered to the Gentiles. Why is that important? The Gentiles did, or the Jewish people didn't have the authority to condemn someone to death. So they had to have the Gentiles sign off of it. This is why he was passed off to Herod. And so this is what's going to happen. Now this is pretty detailed information. And they shall mock him, the Gentiles, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. 
Again, this is pretty detailed information. This is what's going to happen. They are going to mock me. They're going to spit upon me. They're going to scourge me. Again, I want you to take a moment here. Jesus is going to face this. He knows what they're going to do to him. He knows they're go he's going to get scourged. He knows he's going to get mocked. He knows he's going to get spit upon. He knows he's going through this false trial. He's trying to prepare them for what he knows. And the third day he shall rise again. This is the hopeful thing. How do we know that the disciples didn't get it? Because when Jesus was put on the borrowed tomb, they're all moping and sad and horribly depressed because Jesus isn't with them. Instead of saying, all right, let's wait. We can't wait. Three, two more days, we're going to see him again. One more day tomorrow, I, I, you can't even sleep tonight because we're so excited. That's not what happened at all. But Jesus told them. Even going through this list point by point and telling them all the things. All of those things were true. Why wouldn't the last thing be true? Because they weren't paying attention to him. And what we see here is that Jesus goes through and explains this, but they're not listening. In fact, here is a principle of all communication. If you are talking, you are not listening. That means even if you're talking in your head, have you ever heard someone say something and you, heard, you caught part of it, but then your mind starts preparing for the argument, how to counter them, how to speak over them, or you have something else in your mind. And so you see the lips moving and some words are registering, but you're not listening to them. That's exactly what happened here. James and John said, oh, well, since we got your attention, we have something to ask you. And they missed this important idea. We come up to a second thing here. The desire of James and John. The desire of James and John. Verse 35. So after this big message, you know what Jesus is expecting? Questions, comments, answers, suggestions. Someone to do a clarification. Someone to comment on this. But no, instead Jesus says, I'm going to die. On the third day I'm going to rise again. What do you have in mind? Uh, Jesus, we had a question. doesn't deal with anything you just said. We were wondering, notice what they were wondering, verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him saying, Master, we would that thou doest something, uh, do for us whatsoever we shall desire. So they said, Jesus, yes, are you going to ask something about what I just said? No, we were wondering, can you do us a favor? <laughs> okay, so Jesus said, uh, verse 36, and he said unto them, what would ye that I should do for you? All right. What's your big question that you missed everything that I said? What's burning on your mind? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on the right hand and the other on the, thy left hand in thy glory. So Jesus, we want to know if you could do us a favor. Fine. What do you guys want? We want to know if when we get to heaven and you're ruling heaven... Can James sit on one side and I sit on the other side? Can we rule with you? So you interrupted and missed everything I said to ask this. This is what was so burning that you missed this thing I was trying to say. Now, to be fair, the gospel record of Luke, I think, um, gives more clarification. Their mother is behind them. They've joined them and their mom says, go ask him. 
And so she takes the boys up. And so now they're stuck. Jesus is giving them this information. And mom comes up and says, hey, they want to ask you a question. Ask, ask. Uh, my mom wants to know. Well, <laughs> so they ask the question. So Jesus here is trying to get across to them a lesson. Verse um, 38. But Jesus said unto them, ye know not what you ask. That's true. Can he drink of the cup where I drink of and be baptized with the baptism I baptized with? And they said unto him, we can. So Jesus is trying to say, you don't know what you're asking for. To ask for is just something that you can't necessarily do. I just told you, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be put on a false trial. I'm going to be scourged, spit upon, mocked. They're going to deliver me to the Gentiles. I'm going to die. On the third day, I'm going to rise again. And I just asked you, can you follow in my footsteps? And they go, uh-huh. They weren't listening. Yeah, sure, we could do whatever. We'll, we'll do whatever's required. All right. Verse 39. And they said unto him, we can. And Jesus said, ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. And with the baptism that I'm baptized, whither are you baptized? But to sit on the right hand and my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. They said that they're willing, but Jesus said, that's not mine to give. That's God's responsibility to give. Now, what we're talking about here is the idea of rewards. We're not talking about salvation at this point. Jesus was trying to bring up salvation, but they're talking about rewards. Do you know that when you die, there are rewards? Some people think that salvation is it. Once I get saved and I'm free, uh, forgiven of my sins, I'm home free. It's almost like carrying a fire insurance card. All right, no matter what happens, I get out of hell free. I've, I've got the card. But God wants more for you than that in your life. And that when we die, there is a pit stop between eternity future and here. It's called the millennial kingdom. And in the millennial kingdom, we are going to enjoy the rewards or loss of rewards, the lack of rewards, based off of our service for God here. And so Jesus is saying, that's not for me to give. That is based off of what you do for the Lord. That's not for what we have to hear. Now, we'll talk more about that in a second. But how do the other disciples respond? So Jesus was trying to teach them something important that's all been washed away and ignored as James and John said, hey, we just want to secure our spot. We just want to say dibs and call shotgun and we just want to get it settled right now. Can we sit on the, your right hand and left hand when we get to heaven? Can we be right next to you? Can we help you rule the world after this? And the rest of the disciples are now how they respond, verse 41. And when the ten heard it, they begin to be much displeased with James and John. Now they're all upset. Man, I should have asked first. How come they're asking? And they're all thinking about what about themselves? Now Jesus knows they're not thinking clearly. And so he begins to teach something else. We see this last thing and where we're going to spend the rest of our time. The duty of a minister. The duty of a minister. Now James and John, by the pushing of their mother, have in mind that they are just going to be automatically granted rewards. They're going to be automatically 
given this. That Jesus is going to say here. This is for you to sit in. This is your role. Go ahead and sign up now. And they have in their mind. That they're going to help Jesus rule the world. We're going to be in charge. We'll show them. And they're already writing a list of all the stuff they want to get done. And all the things they want people to do for them. Jesus understands what they're thinking and tries to correct it. Notice with me in verse 42. But Jesus calleth them, the disciples, unto him, and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. So he starts off by saying, all right, what you have in mind is like the Gentiles, the world. That in our mind, think about the people who are in charge. You have governors, you have presidents, you have prime ministers, you have kings, you've even had emperors. And those people who are in charge, they tell others what to do. And they make sure others do what they want to do. And then you have some great ones, some ones that have rose up for history, and you think of them. You think of a Joseph Stalin who was in charge of Soviet Russia, who had 50 million people uh, put to death while he was reigning. That's a lot of people. He was in charge and he had life and death in their hand. And what he said went. You think of Roman emperors, a Julius Caesar, an Augustus. You think of a Travian. You think of a Caligula. You think of some of those Roman emperors who were crazy and they ruled over there. You think of kings of England, a Henry VIII, who was called the defender of the faith. And what he said went. You took an absolute ruler like Louis XIV of France who believed that he was ruling by divine right. And whatever he said went. You take a Nebuchadnezzar of the Bible and that whatever he said went. If someone goes to jail, they go to jail. If he says get him out of jail, they get out of jail. There was nothing to counteract. No checks and balances. He was in charge. And so when people have in mind that they're going to be a ruler, they're going to be president, they they have in mind, I get to rule over the people. And they're going to do what I say, and we're going to develop a world the way that I think so, and that I, I'll be their shepherd, but I will guide them. I will take care of them. But it carries the idea that they're going to have all these people who are serving them. And that's what the world thinks. When you think of someone that's in charge, you think of someone that has to be accountable and someone that's... And so what the disciples have in mind is that I'm going to be in charge of God's kingdom and all the Christians who are in the world are going to answer to me. But Jesus says, you've missed everything. That's how the world operates. Our thinking needs to be different. Verse number 44. And whoso, uh, uh, verse 43. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. That word minister is a very important word. It carries the idea of a servant. He says, if you want to be counted great, then Your greatness is not how many people you boss around. It's how many people you serve. 
verse 44. And whosoever you will be chiefest, the greatest, shall be servant of all. And verse number 45 is the key verse to the entire gospel record of Mark. What is all of Mark about? For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered or to, to uh, be served, but instead to serve, to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Why did Jesus come on this earth? Did he come for everyone the first time when he came, was it so everyone could do what he wanted them to do? He came to die on the cross for everyone. The ultimate act of service. He humbled himself and did something for us. He died on the cross. He offered forgiveness of our sins full, free, and forever. And so Jesus is saying how the millennial kingdom works, how the judgments work, is not how many people you got to do what you wanted them to do. But instead, the greatest people going into the millennial kingdom were those while they were on this earth who tried to serve as many people as possible. They made themselves a servant. Now again, we still have a hard time with this because our human thinking has the idea that if I serve this person over here, they could hook me up later on. They could help me get ahead in life. But Jesus says, no, you to put yourself as a servant. Now the world looks at that suspiciously. They don't understand the concept that I can serve someone and not get anything back. They don't understand that I could put myself in a position of humbling myself and do small things, menial things, to be a blessing to someone. We like the idea of people serving us. We like people doing things for us. But that's what the world sees. Jesus said, if you're going to be the biggest, the greatest it's the idea, are you going to be the greatest servant? Are you going to find more people to minister, to serve, to be a slave to? And that's where that idea carries from. Are you willing to slave for other people? Are you willing to serve them? Even if you don't get anything back. Even if you don't get the pat in the back. Even if you don't get recognition. Even if it doesn't allow you to get ahead. Are you willing to serve them? Are you willing to do something for someone and not get reciprocated? That's against our thinking. That's against even our thinking as humans. Even if you are saved. And the world has a hard time understanding it. They look at it with suspicion. They look at it as if you have ulterior motives. They looked at it with skepticism. But this is what Jesus said, to make yourself the servant. It's not the biggest, loudest person. It's the one who's willing to do the little things that no one even notices, that no one knows about. To do little things to help people in their life. Just that little pat on the back and say, what can I do for you? Can I help you out? Not the idea of picking and choosing. Well, I'll do that because it benefits me. But are you willing to serve others? 
You know, this goes against our nature because we are selfish people. Most of us are so worried about our own problems that we don't even pay attention to other people. We don't look and see what I can do to someone else because we're trying just to take care of our own stuff. There's an illustration that's often used that if you can't push the boulder yourself, help someone push their boulder and both of you move forward. Both of you go on. But again, when we face God in judgment, when we face and get our rewards dealing with the millennial kingdom, it's not going to be who is the greatest preacher. It's not the idea of who's the greatest Christian, who read their Bible the most. Now, Bible reading is important. But the idea is, how many people did you serve? How many people did you make yourself a slave to? How many people were you willing to give your life for? Remember, Jesus Christ is the example. He came from the glories of heaven to die for everyone. Again, this is uncomfortable because we don't like this idea. You say, I don't mind doing good things for people as long as it's convenient to me. I don't mind doing good things for people if it fits in my schedule. But if I got my own stuff going on, I don't want to hear about your nonsense. If we be honest, that's what we sound like. I'm glad to serve people between the hours of 3 to 5 in the afternoon. It's amazing. Let me take a little side thing. I once heard of a preacher who the only time that he was available to deal with people was every other Thursday in between 3 to 5. Isn't that horrible? That's not being a servant, not making yourself available. Now again, I'm not talking about preaching or preachers. You know, you could receive rewards without being a preacher. This is the idea of who's willing to make themselves a servant. Who's willing to abase themselves? Let me tell you, I'm not going to clean someone's toilet. Are you willing to do those little things? Are you willing to help out? To help those people Get closer to the Lord. Are you willing to go dig a ditch. So you could tell someone about the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you willing to go and wash someone's windows. In order for the opportunity to witness to them. And tell them about our God is great. Our God is amazing. Are you willing to go mow someone's lawn. Not to get money. Not to get in. But just to be able to say. Hey I wanted to be a blessing to you. We have a great God. This idea of service. Now, again, we're not serving in order to get something from God. We're serving because of what God has already done for us. He gave the greatest act of service. He died for us. He gave us the example. He gave his all for us. The idea that God is getting across is a life full of service. Not a life full of rule. Not a life that I could get my little minions to do whatever I want them to do. But what can I do to serve others? What can I do to be a help? 
What can I do to help someone so they can move forward in their Christian life? What can I do to show that my God is real? And if that means to clean someone's ditch, to go ahead and wash their car, if that carries the idea to get them some water, if that carries the idea to get them some groceries when it's hot and it's no air conditioner, but, but I'm what, you, know, you understand, we're supposed to serve others. This changes everything that we think about when we think about the rewards in the millennial kingdom. When we think about how things are set up, it's not the greatest president or the most influential prime minister. It's not the idea of the greatest emperor. It's the greatest servant. You say, I don't know if I could be a preacher. God doesn't want everyone to be a preacher, but can you be a servant? Well, I don't feel like I could teach Sunday school class, but can you be a servant? Well, I just don't uh, do too well trying to explain myself, but can you be a servant? Anyone could be a servant. Anyone could do something. Can you be a servant? Jesus came to this earth not to be ministered to, but he came to minister and to give his life as a ransom for others. If we're going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, we must be the greatest servants, giving our lives so others can live once they hear the gospel. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.